0: From Georgia Public Broadcasting, this is On Second Thought. I'm Virginia Prescott. Well, in November, it seemed that winter was coming early with record low temperatures dipping below the 20s. And as the cold weather continues, tis the season to cozy up with a fuzzy blanket and warm cup of tea and might we suggest a book? Well, today we're doing just that, with three of Georgia's wonderful independent booksellers are here to help you choose which book to crack this holiday season. We're going to hear uh, from titles from a variety of genres, fiction, true crime, children's lit, mystery, help you make a pick either for yourself or maybe for a gift. And we'd love you to join us. Which book could you not put down this year? Or what is on your wish list? You can post them on Twitter at OSTtalk or or on our On Second Thought Facebook group. So joining us, we've got Janet Geddes, owner of Avid Bookshop in Athens from WUGA. Welcome, Janet. Nice to have you back.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: All right, Annie Jones, a first-timer. She's owner of The Bookshelf in Thomasville with us via Skype. Annie, hello and good morning. Hi, Virginia. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being here. We've also got Charles Robinson, a repeat offender. (laughs) He is (laughs) co-owner of Eagle Eye Bookshop in Atlanta here in the studio with us. Thanks so much for coming in.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: All right, so we're going to start with dessert first. And this conversation will begin with cookbooks, which are excellent gifts. Annie, your list on your cookbooks includes Let Me Feed You and Nothing Fancy. Both of these books pretty much focus on simple, straightforward cooking. What's the appeal for you?
3: Well, I'm a bookstore owner and I don't have a lot of time to cook. And so, I tend to rely on easy, straightforward recipes, and so these cookbooks really do appeal to me. I own both of them, Um, and so it's easy to sell books that I love, and both of these have doable recipes that you can impress guests with, but also they're perfectly um, suitable for a weeknight as well.
0: Okay, so we will have a list of all these books. We're going to try to get to all of them, but you can go to our website, gpbnews.org and see our list. Charles, you've got The Deep End of Flavor, cookbook catering to seafood and New Orleans dishes, something we may not give much thought to this time of year. But one of the authors, Tenny Flynn, grew up cooking in his father's restaurant in Stone Mountain, Georgia. Why did this one grab you?
2: Well, first off, I grew up in Stone Mountain, so that was an immediate draw right there. And um, also, New Orleans, I feel like I've said this for as long as I can imagine— one of the best cities for food on earth, mm-hmm. and just take a look at this book. If if you're a seafood fan at all, once you start flipping through it, you're just going to say, "Wow, I've I've got to get this." Because... Well, wow!
0: Wow was often my response for cookbooks. I must yeah. say, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're largely aspirational. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, it's it's approachable too. Mm-hmm. Good. It's it's not too high end.
0: So that's the deep end of flavor. Janet, you have on your list The Saltwater Table, but this is by Whitney Otaka, if I'm saying that properly. She's a chef at the Grayfield Inn on Cumberland Island, Georgia, digs into recipes unique to the South. This is a book the South deserves, said eater. So what makes it a standout for you, Janet? Uh, It's just a
1: a lovely, lavish book. Um, Whitney used to live in Athens, um, and so we have that connection to her here, but just the... The recipes are interesting and accessible and pay homage to um, the the coast of Georgia. I don't think we get a lot of um, cookbooks that focus on that area. Uh, and also, I love that the photographs are just, as you said, <laughs> they can be very aspirational. Uh, but that's another uh, former Georgian um Uh, Emily Dorio did the photography. So it's just a gorgeous book, whether or not you're actually going to cook out of it.
0: (laughs) Annie, you also picked Eat Joy, Stories and Comfort Food from 31 Celebrated Writers. So this combines food with personal essays. Any particular ones come to mind for you?
3: Yes, I think this is fantastic, partly because I'm less drawn to recipes and I'm more drawn to stories. And two in particular really caught me. Molly Malloy writes about her grandfather who grew up in the Depression. And there was this family recipe given to him um, for pancakes. But what's funny to me is her grandfather never made them. But it's still a recipe that she <laughs> a generation later, just still makes for her family. So I think that's really sweet. And then writer Chimamanda Ngozi Adiche, who we're so used to um, hearing from stories like Americana and um, We Should All Be Feminists, she has a great story about growing up in Nigeria. In four or five pages, she made me legitimately tear up. Um, so these are great essays and mem- memoir inspired stories followed by a recipe. So I think it's a great giftable book.
0: All right. Food tearing up. This is this is hitting all the right emotions, it seems. <laughs> and Charles, you chose sous vide. This is by Hugh Atchison. He's, uh, H- Atchison sorry. He's a Canadian-born chef, restaurateur, owns four restaurants in Georgia. He's now living in Athens. So sous vide, this has been quite a foodie trend. First of all, what is it?
2: So it's a device that it keeps water at a very accurate temperature and sous vide actually in French it means in vacuum and so you put whatever it is that you're cooking it could be meat it could be vegetables um, in a particular bag and it keeps it at this very accurate temperature and it's just a very Interesting way of cooking,
0: right? So you, you you're putting like something in a bath of water. It stays in an even yes. t- slow, slow cooks, and then you sort of finish it off. I also I have to put in a plug for panokaratassos modern Greek cooking. I've made a couple of recipes from there after speaking with him. Really accessible, which is a key ingredient for me. Annie, and fans of Netflix's Queer Eye may be interested in your final cookbook pick. This is Antony in the Kitchen. That's Antony He Perowski, he's the food and wine expert on the show. New York Times bestseller, food and wine essential cookbook, one of Eater's best fall cookbooks. Why is this being so celebrated, do you think?
3: I think, first of all, everybody loves Antony. Who doesn't love Antony? And then second of all, we talked about aspirational cookbooks, but also how I myself am drawn to more kind of practical cookbooks. I think this combines both. It's got the great photography we've mentioned, really beautiful place settings, beautiful dishes. But when you look at the recipes themselves, they're really pretty doable um, and accessible. So I think this will look equally good just laying on your counter so you can just have Antony smiling at you. Um, but <laughs> For you
0: to cook with. Annie Johnson, owner of The Bookshelf in Thomasville. Also with me, Janet Geddes, owner of Avid Bookshop in Athens. Charles Robinson, co-owner and manager of Eagle Eye Bookshop in Atlanta. They all submitted lists for great gift books or great things to settle into for the winter holiday. Our list is at gpbnews.org. Okay. So, you know, we did a little count here. Uh, NPR's book concierge wanted to know about book interviews. We read 66 books. We covered 66 books this year. So I read a lot of books. But when I I look at your list, I get absolutely ravenous all over again. So let's dive (laughs) into some of these in nonfiction. Elton John's book, he released a memoir this year. It's called Me, Elton John. And this is after the film Rocket Man came out. So Charles, what are some of the reveals that you found most fascinating here?
2: Um, it's, it's one of those things that it's a great compliment to the movie because he was very involved with the movie process. Um, and it's why it took so long for it to happen, but it's, it's a whole different experience when you get someone's written word on their life and everything. Um, I don't want to give any big reveals on what's different from the movie because people need to read the book.
0: Okay, read the book. This is me by Elton John. And Janet, you have this particular happiness, a childless love story. This is by Jackie Shannon Hollis. Um, personal connection for you, I guess, as someone who is child-free by choice. So what rang true for you here? So, I really love this book. I think um,
1: for a lot of uh, women, uh, I'm going to be 40 next year, and I don't have kids. Um, I'm not sure if I ever will, but I love them, and I think the the overarching idea is that people assume that if you don't have kids by this age, you really just don't want them or you really wanted them and couldn't. But what I love is that Jackie uh, explores just how much you can love kids and be connected with them and maybe not, um, not have them in your life as your own. Um, she always envisioned herself to be a mom, and then she fell in love with someone who was just a true amazing partner who never wanted them and so she's just sort of is figuring out how her life is gonna go because she does have this deep and true love with this amazing man and she chooses that over a, you know a unpredictable future of possibly having kids with somebody else and it's just it's really well written um but i think yeah as someone who has nieces and nephews and a lot of kids in my life at the bookstore that i just love um there was so much of it that just just appealed to me.
0: That's this particular happiness, a childless love story. And then Annie, I'm going to move on to you. You picked a memoir by Adrienne Brodeur called Wild Game. It's a story of how she, as a girl, became an accomplice to her mother's affair. It's gotten a lot of notice from, yeah, I saw it in People Magazine, BBC Culture. What do you think is so engaging about this book?
3: So I think a lot of times we say that, oh, a nonfiction is great if it quote, reads like fiction. And I think that sometimes does a disservice to nonfiction. But what's true about this story is that it feels like this could not possibly be real. Mm -hmm. Um, This story is kind of so outlandish. We think no way um, could this have happened. But what we get is this really complicated, nuanced look at a mother daughter relationship. There's also some food writing in here because Adrian Broder's mother was a food writer. And so you kind of get this great um, Ruth Reichel meets Danny Shapiro. um, Mm -hmm. And I Mm -hmm. think excellent for book clubs in particular.
0: Janet, you're a longtime fan of columnist Lindy West, as am I. Her book, Shrill, has been made into a Hulu series, but you recommend her book out this year. This is called The Witches Are Coming. What was what was it that grabs you about this?
1: Um, I have read a lot of her commentary but had never read a full-length book of essays by her. And uh, what I love is that she explores sort of what has become like a little bit of the commodification of feminism. Um, I, I myself am a feminist, but she also, and she is as well, but she's exploring how things are complicated by the commercialization of the feminist movement at this point and what it means to make declarations. I, I'm especially intrigued by the essays where she uh, talks about just how instantly social media and the internet allow us to react to situations um, and to maybe Im- immediately vilify or even put on a pedestal somebody and just how quickly opinions can change and just how how careful we all need to be to to take the time to do close reading, to explore things and understand that uh, every issue and every belief system does have a lot of nuance to it. But she's just very smart and also very funny. Um, and I got this one on We Sell audiobooks. I listened to the audio of it, and she reads it, and she's just an extraordinary uh,
0: narrator. Yeah, terrific voice. I have interviewed her once. Rachel Watkins tweeted us, and she says, I agree with Annie. Eat Joy is a perfect hostess gift to give away this season. Thanks so much for your comment, Annie. We welcome all of your comments here. Um, quickly, Charles, we've got to wrap in just a minute, but last year was a really big one for political books. I'm saying 2018, the tell-alls. You know, we had Fire and Fury, Michael Lewis's book, Bob Woodard's book, Fear. Has that hunger abated, or are people still looking for that when they come into your shop?
2: It's absolutely abated. Yeah, I feel like people they're they're just tired of.
0: Yeah, it. Yeah, they had enough. So the the book A Warning by Anonymous, which was supposed to be a big book. How about any of you? Has that been a big seller? Has anybody been asking for that at your shops?
1: Not in particular,
0: actually. So people we want. <laughs> not sold. We have not sold very much. Ironically. So it looks like a big turn in the mood of readers this year. So we are talking about that turn. We're talking about cookbooks. Or we're talking about nonfiction books. We're coming up with fiction. And we've also got YA, horror, mystery coming up in just a minute on On Second Thought. Janet Geddes of Avid Bookshop is with us from Athens. Charles Robinson here in our studio. He's at Eagle Eye Books in Atlanta. And Annie Jones of The Bookshelf in Thomasville. Stay with us. Lots more to get through. And what are you looking forward to reading this holiday season? Go to our Facebook group gpb radios on second thought and let us know you can also reach us on twitter at ost talk we're leaving you with some music to get your pages turning this is wrapped up in books by bell and sebastian we'll be back after a short break with more of our winter reading list picks we're going to hear about non-fiction books We are back with On Second Thought from GPB. I'm Virginia Prescott. As we all gear up for holiday shopping traffic on the road and online, sometimes it can feel like retailers care more about emptying stock than providing service. Well, that's where your independent stores come in, giving shoppers a more curated experience. And we've got three primo independent booksellers in Georgia. There are many of them. And here with suggestions for your holiday lists and your winter leisure are Janet Geddes. She's owner of Avid Bookshop in Athens. Charles Robinson, co-owner and manager of Eagle Eye Bookshop in Atlanta. And Annie Jones, owner of The Bookshelf in Thomasville. Never enough time for nonfiction, so we're going to have to dive right back into that one. Annie, you also selected a book called Fall and Rise. Now, this is about 9-11. Now, you know, 18 years later, what what kind of portrait do you get from this book?
3: Part of the reason I recommended this book so highly is because the author takes us through the just the day of September 11th. So we don't get a lot of buildup. We don't even get really a picture or portrayal of what happened after. Instead, we almost get hour by hour what happened in the different locations on that day. Um, I was moved to tears, obviously, by this book. I also the the people in it became dear to me i cared intimately what happened to them and really appreciated getting a more perhaps
0: personal look at this historical national event. Mm, So that's called Fall and Rise. Charles, you picked The Way I Heard It, a history read, now New York Times bestseller from Mike Rowe. This is the TV host of Dirty Jobs. The Way I Heard It is now a podcast also featuring a series of short mysteries for the curious mind with a short attention span. That's how it's built. Why is this book important?
2: I feel like Mike Rowe is just a voice of America. Um, It doesn't matter your political leanings, anything like that. He he just appeals to everyone. And the jobs and, you know, the stories that he gives, they're kind of like um, they're – They're kind of like, you know, the rest of the story. Mm
0: -hmm. The stuff that gets left out often.
2: Yeah, Uh exactly.
0: So that's the way I heard it. Janet, you have no happy endings. This is by Nora McKearney on your list of holiday books. She's the host of the popular podcast, Terrible Thanks for Asking. I actually saw her uh, in Chicago a couple of years ago, an utterly engaging host. Started a few years after she suffered a series of losses, including losing her husband, Aaron, to brain cancer. Here's a clip of McCurney talking, telling her story from the first episode of the podcast.
1: The brain tumor kept growing back. This is Erin. I miscarried our second baby.
3: Love you guys.
1: My dad died.
3: Not too soon.
1: And a few weeks later... Bye-bye. So did Aaron. <laughs> so now I'm a 30-ish widowed mom, and everyone wants to know how I'm doing. So
0: that's a clip from Terrible Thanks for Asking... You say this book is a quick but decidedly unsimple read. What do you mean by that, Janet?
1: So Nora McInerney is very, very funny. And so on the surface, um, like she's she's able to really delve into her heartbreak and grief in a way that's relatable. Uh, But what I love is that she understands all too intimately how you can have multiple realities going at once. So she she talks about how much she loves Aaron. Uh, she's remarried now and she loves her husband now, but she still feels like Aaron is her husband. Uh, and just sort of how you can simultaneously be completely head over heels in love with your life, with your kids, with your husband, and at the same time be in this constant deep state of mourning for the life that you've thought you were going to have that got taken away from you. Mm. Uh, It's just beautifully done. And thankfully, I have not suffered this degree of loss in any way. But uh, I think it's I I often say that reading books for kids and adults is a way to uh, experience uh, emotions and really intense situations in a really safe way in the pages of a book to kind of imagine when we do face this inevitable series of losses, which all of us are going to have to go through. Um, books are an excellent way of uh, experimenting and kind of figuring out how you might react in scenarios like this. Um, mm, it's just
0: great. Beautifully said. Uh, let's move on to true crime, something we hope we don't have to experience. <laughs> Annie, you have a couple on your list. There's She said Furious Hours and A False Report, which goes by the title Unbelievable in Paperback. What stands out to you about these true crime books?
3: So I hesitated to put She Said under true crime, um, but this is the book written by the New York Times journalists about the Harvey Weinstein case. Um, And I know Ronan Farrow's book got got a lot of attention, and I I appreciated it as well. I read both. But there's something about She Said and the journalistic deep dive that these two authors and two journalists do. It's almost like reading um, All the President's Men or Mm. something like that. Um, about really the process of how they uncovered the story and brought the truth to light. Um, that ties into a false report, which actually is now a Netflix series called Unbelievable. Um, I think that's why the paperbacks, it, paperback is named that way. Um, it looks at how victims of sexual assault are treated when they come forward and why they might choose to recant their testimony or take back their stories. Um, there's a powerful piece, I believe, on This American Life as well that kind of ties into that. And then Furious Hours is a total departure, but the connecting factor I think is that the writing is so great. And again, really this kind of more journalistic view, Furious Hours looks at Harper Lee and looks at the case she was kind of investigating to perhaps write her next book post To Kill a Mockingbird. So this crime that took place in rural Alabama and the crime feels utterly bizarre, uh, but very Southern. And the way that Casey Sepp, the author, is able to tie in that crime also with Harper Lee's life is really outstanding. So the three books, I think, the connecting line is that they are all so well written and well researched, while also being extremely readable.
0: Yeah, we interviewed Casey Sepp, by the way, and and we interviewed so many authors. As I said, sixty-six books this year, more than one a week. You can go to our website, uh, gpbnews.org, and look up some of our author interviews. And I'm I'm with you on that. I mean, that's my I draw for true crime. It's the reporting and how the reporting is done. But on another front, we've got those who are looking for something interesting when they're traveling for the holidays or otherwise. And Charles, you suggest Atlas Obscura. This is the second edition, an explorer's guide to the world's hidden treasures. So what makes that a great gift?
2: Atlas Obscura is just fascinating. Um, they're they catalog places all around the world that are just almost beyond imagination. You know, there's, um, there's a place somewhere in the outskirts of Turkey that is called like hell's hole or something. It's a, it's a place that has been on fire, a cave that's been on fire for 50 years. And, um, so it's it's a it's a very interesting read for people who want something that is off the map um they they use a lot of local people to find their places that they um catalog and everything.
0: And the stories are always terrific. Oh, about yes, them. absolutely. Janet, you picked a similar book, Epic Journeys. This is published by National Geographic. Uh, this is more than this. Colored photographs, of course. It's National Geographic highlighting adventures from around the world. So why did you pick this one?
1: I love this book. Um, it's First of all, it's affordable, which is, I mean, I think all books are affordable, but this one is a, it's a $40. Spoken like a true bookseller. Oh yeah. (laughs) Um, A non-discounting bookseller. But we, um, it's a $40 hardcover, full color. um, And so it's rare to get a coffee table book at that price point, Mm -hmm. but um, it's just gorgeous. But it is inspiring, uh, which is one of my favorite things about uh, travel guides so what the the National Geographic researchers and photographers have done is combined actual trip itineraries that help you daydream about where you want to go next all over the world, uh, combined with these extraordinary photographs of places that you can't even imagine are real. So I really appreciate the melding of um, really great tips, actual itineraries, with the photography, Cause I, for me, when I buy travel guides, a lot of the time, if they're very text heavy, um, I get a little mired in the details and, and can't daydream quite as much. So it's a, it's a great marriage of those two elements. And whether you're an armchair traveler and not actually going to book a ticket anytime soon or someone that really travels around the world, um, it, it is a really, really great read.
0: That's Janet Geddes from Athens, Avid Bookshop. Annie Johnson is with us and also Charles Robinson. It's our book show, our holiday book show. uh, We do the beach blanket reads later in the year, but this is a time when we think about gifts for giving or for curling up with over the winter. Uh, In the nonfiction, I just want to put in a plug for On Earth, We're Briefly Gorgeous. This is Ocean Vong's memoir. We spoke with him, uh, just a, a wonderfully, beautifully, beautifully written book. Um, There are loads more that are not going to be included in our show today, but we do have a list of them online at gpbnews.org. Okay, so let's move on to mystery, fantasy, horror. We're clumping them all together here. Janet, you recommend Bird Box. This is by Josh Malloran. Malloran. It's an old title and became a Netflix film last year starring Sandra Bullock. So here's just a clip from the movie.
1: Listen to me. I'm only going to say this once. We are going on the trip now. It's going to be rough. It's going to feel like it's going on for a long time. So it's going to be hard to stay alert. It's going to be even harder to be quiet. But you have to do both. You have to do every single thing I say or we will not make it. Understand.
0: Okay, so that sounds like a familiar trope. But Janet, you advise fans of the book to avoid watching the film. Now, Why is that? Yeah. Sorry, Sandy.
1: Um, <laughs> we... But she's doing itself, just fine.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I can't believe she's not listening. Um, if you uh, start the book knowing very little about it, it is so much creepier. Uh, I'm not a frequent horror reader, but this one, it's just this this deep, creeping unease comes over you as you're reading because you you don't know what's happening. And so there are fewer uh, like jump out from behind a wall kind of surprises and more just like your brain is constantly trying to figure out what, what life is this woman living? Why in the world does she always have a blindfold on anytime she leaves the house? Like what is this horrific, horrific force out there that is uh, just horrifying people? Uh, So it's, it's great. um, And it's so uh, disconnected from anything that would happen in the real world that I feel like for someone like me who maybe gets a little more scared reading horror, uh, it, it was a safe read in that sense that I, I knew that what happens in this book is not actually going to be happening in the real world.
0: So, Annie, you picked a mystery. This is called body, The Body in Question. This is Jill Simmons, set in central Florida. And this is a sensational murder trial. And a teenage girl is on trial actually for murdering her toddler brother. She's also a twin. So what does this whole sibling element bring into the story?
3: So the story really is so, to me, original because it looks at the case through the eyes of a juror, so you get this glimpse only through what you would really see. So we, as maybe citizens, might occasionally sit on a jury, so we get to see the case through the juror's eyes. And I really loved that aspect of the book. I also grew up in Florida, so I thought the setting of this book was really quite rich and well done. It didn't feel like fake Florida, which is how I feel a lot of books about Florida tend to feel. Um, So I think Jill Clements did a good job of writing a really great setting and then having this sensational case But the book is not really about the case at all. The book is about our justice system and how it works or how it doesn't work. And it's about jury cases and can those become tainted and and how do jurors react to certain aspects of a trial? How do they react to being holed up and um, kept out of the public's eye? So that's really this kind of took the maybe typical crime or um This courtroom drama, and kind of to me turned it on its head by focusing on the on one juror and letting us see the entire thing um through her worldview, which i really I really liked.
0: Well, you also picked the mystery slash thriller novel, Never Have I Ever. This is the Decatur-based author, Jocelyn Jackson. We did speak with her, by the way, uh, about this book, and that is another interview that you can find at our website, one of our book interviews, if you're looking to know a little bit more about this books. Now, Charles, you had a couple of fantasy picks on your list. We no longer have Game of Thrones to keep fans going. So how does The Name of All Things is by Jenny Lyons keep science fiction fans engaged?
2: So um, this is the second book in her series, and Jen Lyons just rocks. Um, This is an interesting one because it's the continuation of the story, but this particular installment is told by sort of the villain's point of view, and she also includes footnotes In all of her books um, that come up during the novel and they they add to the to the story and your conception of what's going on with the world and everything.
0: So that's Jen Lyons. This is a a sequel to The Ruin of Kings. The book is called The Name of All Things. We're going to have to whip through graphic novels, unfortunately. Uh, We've got Janet, you've got one on your list. Open Borders, The Science and Ethics of Immigration by Brian Kaplan and Zach Weiner-Smith. Why did this one work for you?
1: Well, I admit uh, that I am not well-versed in immigration issues, and I, I wish that I understood more of what's happening uh, in our country in particular and at the borders. And so when I saw this book come across my desk, I thought, ooh, this will be a good uh, an introduction because it is a graphic novel, so it uh, is told through pictures as well as nonfiction text so these the artist is extraordinary, but then the actual research of the book is really fascinating. So they explore um, one claim after another about what's com- commonly held beliefs about immigration and open borders and what happens at the border. And with uh, actual research-based information, uh, the authors go through and kind of say, well, this is why this portion of the, this argument's not accurate, and here's the reality, and if we did X, Y, Z, here are the results that we would actually have on the country. We don't need to have a lot of fear mongering. Uh, so it's uh, really well done. So I think it could work for um, mature kid readers. But um, more than that, I think I'm going to recommend it a lot to adults like me who uh, try to be knowledgeable about a lot of things, but there's, there are only so many hours in the day. And so this is a, a great introduction to allow you to become more familiar with what is happening.
0: That's a great summary of also of graphic novels. There are so many great graphic yes. novels that have come out recently that that exactly what you said, dig into things that you might not pick up that big doorstopper tome for mm-hmm. but to learn a story. On the other end of things, we have the Watchmen series. Charles, you recommend this. This is, of course, a hot series right now. Uh, graphic novels have been adapted into an HBO series. Annie picked White Bird. And... Charles, you also picked Rusty Brown by Chris Ware, another graphic novel. He's uh, somebody who does things for The New York Times frequently, so you may know his work. So we got to wrap it up for just a minute. We're going to take a break. Annie Jones, Charles Robinson, Janet Geddes will be back with more picks for winter books, for holiday gift books, something to curl up with. And, of course, we do have a list of the full recommendations at our website, gbbnews.org. We're listening to Graham Parker, a brand new book as we head into a quick break. I'm Virginia Prescott. Stay with us for more of On Second Thought. We're back with On Second Thought from GPB. I'm Virginia Prescott. Maybe you're buying or borrowing a book for your upcoming holiday travels or looking for a special gift to light up the imagination of somebody on your list. Or maybe you don't need any reason to check out a new book, no matter what. We are here at On Second Thought to help you with uh, some of the coolest winter reads with a few Georgia independent booksellers. So they're talking with people about the books they're interested in and that they like all the time, including Janet Geddes, owner of Avid Bookshop in Athens, Annie Jones, she's owner of The bookshelf in Thomasville, and Charles Robinson is here in the studio with us. He's co-owner of Eagle Eye Bookshops in Atlanta. And while we chat with our bookshop experts, you can join the conversation. Do you love thrillers, cookbooks, mysteries? Have you discovered something new? What is on your winter reading list? Let us know on our Facebook group, GPB Radio's on Second Thought. Or on Twitter, Twitter at, with the handle OST Talk, and we do have some more recommendations rolling in. This is from Austin, who says Lost Children Archive was great. This was a, absolutely a beautiful book. Author is Valeria Lucelli. Lucelli, I hope I'm saying that. All apologies to Valeria. Um, this is a, a terrific book about. Exactly the thing that Janet was talking about, children on the border. He also recommends Jericho Brown's book, The Tradition. I think Jericho Brown is a poet, and um, that's his book of poetry. Uh, everyone's nodding, so <laughs> I'm among the right booksellers. Now, if you're looking for a gift to give someone, the younger readers maybe in your life, we're going to get some recommendations for children's and young young readers and young adult reading back to our guests. So, Janet, you chose Beverly right here. By, this is by Kate. Camilo, she's a beloved children's book author, Newbery Medal winner. Uh, Her newest book caps off her Three Rancheros series. So this is for middle grade readers?
1: Yes, yes. So for for non-booksellers, middle grade tends to be good books that are approximately for 7 to 12-year-olds, but then they are obviously 39-year-olds like me who love them, too. (laughs) So why would Um, they love it? uh, So this one is um, a story of Beverly. She's 14. Uh she's run away from home, and um she is grieving the loss of her beloved dog, buddy um who has passed away and she's at this point in her life where she hasn't had the sort of nurturing family environment uh that she so deeply craves and what all kids need, and so she goes off an adventure by herself and ends up in like making a family for herself, so it's about independence uh adventure. Uh, it takes place a couple decades ago, so there's no you know cell phone use, but she also has these friends from where she uh, came from who are concerned about her and want to know where she is. but it's just lovely and heart wrenching in places, but Katie Camillo just does an extraordinary job of um, understanding the real emotions that kids go through, and I think a lot of the time adults might not remember. Uh, just how exquisitely complicated it it is to grow up and all the different emotions that you go through as you're trying to figure out who you are and who you want to be and how you are different or similar from your family. Anyway, it's just a great story. Um, Yeah, I loved it.
0: Yeah, uh, for middle grade readers also, I wanted to recommend My Jasper June. We spoke with the author Laurel Snyder, and I think she hit upon some of those things that you're talking about, the absolute complexity of inside a, a, a young child or a young person's mind. Annie, you picked David Yoon's debut novel. This is called Frankly in Love, a story of a second-generation immigrant balancing this traditional Korean values of his parents with his experience as an you know, American teen. So what age range is this one for?
3: This is for the more young adult readers. So I'd recommend for high schoolers, maybe late middle schoolers. And then, of course, again, as Janet said, folks like me who still enjoy kind of reading about um, that period of time, kind of that angsty high school stage. Um, Frankly in Love is great because it kind of isn't just a love story. I think the title, of course, makes it sound like it's um, really about uh, the main character, Frank, and his uh, falling in love for the first time. Uh, But instead, what I really enjoyed most about the novel was his relationship with his parents um, and how He feels and identifies more as an American than his parents who immigrated over to the States. And so the complicated uh, ways that immigration and identity play in those two generations' lives, I really loved that look. And then there's a really awesome... Friendship relationship that Frank has with his best friend, and I don't know that we always get a chance. If we're so focused, maybe on romantic relationships, we don't always get a look at friendships. And friendships, especially in those growing up years, are so important and really shape who we are and who we become. And I think uh, the author of Frankly in Love knows that. And so the book is teased maybe as a love story, but it's really about relationships, parental, and then with your close friends and and who you ultimately wind up becoming and why you become
0: that person. All right. Also on the young adults or children's book, Dear Sweet Pea by Julie Murphy. We've got Stretchy McHansom, which sounds terrific. (laughs) And also, I'm not... I'm not dying with you tonight by Gilly Seagal and Kimberly Jones, but I'm going to move on to fiction right now just because we'll put a pin in those and come back if we can. But fiction is a super popular category. So I wanted to hear about some of your favorite fiction picks of the year. Janet, you recommend Royal holiday. This is by the New York times bestselling author, Jasmine Guillory, a a holiday romance, I guess. So perfect for this time of year. Yes.
1: um, I am a a late to the party uh, romance reader uh, but I loved this one. Um, one of the many things I liked about it is that the storyline focuses um, on a slightly older woman, so it's not like a, a 22-year-old woman falling in love. It's a woman who has already had a relationship, um, has an adult child, and her daughter is, I think, a stylist um, and who gets hired to go to England to help dress the royal a royal family member. And so the mom comes along and ends up uh, connecting with a man who who lives on the property as well and it's just i don't even want to call it late in life because it's more middle aged in life love but just just for someone who has thought that falling in love again and having those that rush of hormones and emotions she kind of assumes that it's behind her and instead it's right back uh she's she's right back in it uh, it's just lovely it's so much fun it's easy to read and it's just very cozy uh and Christmassy.
0: And he has an accent, so.
1: Yes, all I good. Mean, come on.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, Annie, on the other, let's say the not quite romantic novel, A Story of Divorce, the debut novel by Taffy Broadiser Ackner, Fleischman is in trouble. This is the main character, Toby, dealing with the, the, the emotions of divorce and co-parenting and then some residual, residual bitterness. Then his ex just drops their two kids off at his place and doesn't come back. So, so what happens here?
3: This book is so snarky and I'm here for it. Um, it starts with Fleischman's kind of reawakening. His wife has left him and, um, he's, experiencing um, kind of this sexual sexual reawakening that I was not sure I was here for until about page 150. <laughs> and then you start to see, Then you, so you have to give this book a chance, I think, but then you start to see really what Fleischmann's undoing was and the, the relationship that he shares with his soon-to-be ex-wife. You finally get her perspective. It's narrated unusually. You spend the first little part of the novel wondering whose voice you're actually hearing Um, this was wound up being long listed for the national book award. So I revisited it. And again, just kind of this upper East side, Manhattan. Um, if you liked, where'd you go, Bernadette, uh, This idea of what happens after. Um, So you've got the love story and you've got this beautiful relationship and you have these great kids. But then what happens when it all falls apart? Um, And I think uh, the author did an excellent job of kind of weaving this story and taking her time through it. And by the end,
0: I was just absolutely hooked and desperately wanting to know what happened to this family. Okay, so we've got to move on to Janet and Charles. You both had Olive Again by Elizabeth Strout on your list. It's a sequel to Olive Kittredge. This was published back in 2008, which won a Pulitzer and then was turned into a four-part HBO miniseries, terrific miniseries. So after so much praise for the first, Charles, how does the sequel hold up?
2: Um, I feel like it holds up quite a bit. Um, It picks up a number of years after the first book. And so when you do that in a novel, there's a lot to explore there. And yeah, um just it's it's been flying off the shelves.
0: How about for you, Janet? Have you guys been selling a lot of copies?
1: Yes, we have. Uh and she's Elizabeth Strout's one of those authors that like I've told people that I would just read her grocery list. Like her her, <laughs> her <laughs> deafness with language is just exquisite and I don't know. I can I, I'm hard-pressed to think of any other novelists who are as adept as she is at um getting you to love characters that are cantankerous and would be hard to love in real life but you just I just fell in love with Olive she's complicated and frustrating and annoying and i just want to hang out with her all the time
0: (laughs) charles and annie had another overlap book you both picked the dutch houses by Anne patchett just a master of plot and the story follows two siblings over five decades it was described as a quote dark fairy tale about two smart people who cannot overcome their past annie you want to try and give me a translation on that what does that mean
3: so I really see this as a sibling story. We talked about that in terms of the body in question, a very different novel. This one I appreciated because I am an older sister with a younger brother, and Ann Patchett writes that relationship so well. Um, so you've got this these siblings who grew up in this almost, and I guess the term is fairy tale, this kind of larger than life house. Um, Anne Patchett somehow also. Feels like a professional architect. Like the way she writes about the Dutch house feels as if she's Frank Lloyd Wright himself um, writing about this home. And so they live in this larger than life house and then it's taken from them. And the book follows them into their adulthood and how that loss affects both of them. Um, so the house looms large, um, but the sibling relationship and the protective nature that the sister has for the brother um, also looms large. The audiobook is also narrated by Tom Hanks. So if Anne Patchett doesn't sell you on this. I feel like Tom Hanks will.
0: Oh, that's a <laughs> heck. Of, that's a heck of a name to float. And you also <laughs> suggest selected "Red at the Bone." This is by Jacqueline Woodson, another title praised in a number of publications, including by author Tyari Jones in her piece for Oprah Magazine. So, what the, What is it about this story that's so captivating? You think?
3: For the first time, I'm sorry to say, this year I read um, "If Beale Street Could Talk" mm-hmm. uh, by James James Baldwin. Baldwin. Yeah, this feels like I'm reading a classic. Um, I'm reading a book that's going to stay with me for decades. Red at the Bone also takes place in New York City with a family, Um, multi-generational stories. Jacqueline Woodson, Gives us different viewpoints. Each chapter is told from a different voice. If you've never read her, I think she's really a poet at heart. So the way this language flows and ebbs and flows is so well done. Um, and she, it's not confusing. I think a lot of times readers might feel afraid or feel bogged down by different narrators and switching um, different viewpoints from chapter to chapter. But the way she does it is, is with such deftness um, that that I don't think readers will get lost at all. Instead, um, I think they'll love the language of it and the overarching story of it. um, Very much mother, daughter, multi-generational kind of coming of age story.
0: Jenna, you're recommending Unpregnant. This is by Jenny Hendricks and Ted Kaplan. You're recommending it to a lot of adult readers, even though it's technically a YA novel. So why is that? Why does it work?
1: Um, I love this. The, The two characters in this book um, who end up kind of thrown together after years of estrangement, Uh, so they're former best friends, um, and one of the main characters is living this shiny, happy life with a seemingly perfect boyfriend who really is just oppressive and annoying and needy. (laughs) Um, But she ends up uh, becoming pregnant, and she does not want to have a baby. And so she and her Uh, former and perhaps again best friend end up taking this epic road trip uh, because they don't have access to easy and safe legal abortion where they are. Uh, So it's uh, a great friendship story. I think it's also a really powerful read for anyone who um, either has a a partner or a boyfriend or girlfriend who is... um, Seeming to express their love, but really it's just uh, unhealthy neediness. <laughs> um, I, it really helped me make sense of some of the relationships that some of my uh, female friends had in high school that I never could wrap my mind around. Uh, but it's also a non-traumatic story of pregnancy and access to abortion. Um, so I just really I liked that there is a woman, a young woman, who's making this choice for herself, and she's not completely traumatized by it. And afterward, she doesn't, you know, say, Oh, my God, I'm, I'm a horrible person. I wish I hadn't done it. So I think it's just a realistic view. Um, but also, there, there are definitely some, some commentaries uh, in the subtext about um, how complicated it is to take care of your body as a woman um, and get access to rights that uh, I believe should be legal.
0: So that's Unpregnant. Janet's recommendation, Charles, you included Aaron Morgenstern's novel, The Night Circus, Annie, the Lager Queen of Minnesota. I have to put in a a word for Disappearing Earth by Julia Phillips. That was a fantastic novel that I read this year. And again, we have an interview with Julia Phillips. With me, Annie Jones, Janet Geddes, and Charles Robinson. They're three independent Georgia booksellers, and we're getting their recommendations for books to add to your holiday shopping list or your post-holiday reading list there are many hours to fill sometimes on those vacations. Charles, let's look at some of the overlooked books, you know, these genres that don't always get a lot of attention. Uh, You have a a, a science-y book on your list. This is Bill Bryson, just a a pleasure of an author as far as I'm concerned. He wrote A Walk in the Woods, many, many books, a short history of everything, and it is one of those. And his new book is called The Body, A Guide for Occupants. How do you describe that to customers?
2: It's... uh Bill Bryson, he just breaks things down so elegantly. And this is uh this is this is a great book for people who want to know more about themselves without it being kind of scary. You know, <laughs> so you so that
0: tick in your tick in your side you don't right. have to be frightened of?
2: Yes, exactly. And um yeah, it's it's just it's It's very well done, and um, it's very accessible. But while still being very uh, scientific and, you know, just – informative. That's kind of an owner's
0: manual, I understand. Janet, you said you selected how to break up with your phone, the 30-day plan to take back your life. This is by Catherine Price. I'm sure a lot of people would like to get that book and not like to act on it. (laughs) It goes through the facts about phone addiction and then gets into how to build a better relationship with our smartphones. Did you you try it out?
1: Uh, Yes. So, I mean, truth be told, I'm halfway through, haven't finished the plan. Uh, But what I love about it is that Catherine Price talks about how we, we initially created so much technology to be a tool for us, uh, but what has happened, uh, especially through the sales of every little uh, minute piece of data that we're sharing uh, with these big companies, we, the, the phones have been completely created to have us addicted to them. So her whole technique, she's not saying throw away your phone, there's no like there's no merits to having one. But what she is saying is that we need to instead of being a tool being used by these big tech companies, we need to turn around and make phones something that's useful in our life and have uh, use it to make our lives better versus um, us just you know serving the needs of big big tech industry. Uh, but it's re- reassuring. Um, although she does present this little quiz in the very beginning of the book that I posited to some friends to see um, such a yes or no list of questions, uh, how addicted you are to your phone. And she was like, if you answered more than X number, like you have met the qualifications for tech addiction. I was like, oh, God. Uh, So it's going to make you want to have an intervention with yourself, but also just remind you of all the wonderful things that are out there that have always existed before smartphones did. So let's get out there and Enjoy our lives more.
0: Like books, for example. (laughs) How to Break Up with Your Phone, the 30-day plan to take back your life by Catherine Price. And I would suggest reading a book might be one of those. Okay, we have to draw to a close quickly. One book you're looking forward to reading in the new year. How about we'll start with you, Janet. Uh, Oh, my God, what is
1: it called? It's the new one uh, by Janine Cummins um, called, oh, American Dirt. Okay. Can't wait. Yes. Just name. American American Dirt. Dirt.
2: That's great.
0: How about
3: for you, Annie? Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reed is outstanding. I cannot wait to put it in people's hands.
0: Janet Geddes, Charles Robinson, Annie Jones, thank you so much for running through those picks with us. Thank you for being here. And we do have uh, some listeners who kept writing in, and uh, there's book recommendations. There's compliments for our guests. Enjoy reading and go to gpbnews.org.